from the somewhat soiled Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it is time for another wasted episode of chemical-free horticultural hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Deer eat your plants and then poop on your property. Is the end result of your devoured hostas safe to use in your compost? On today's show, we'll discuss diseased deer, prion proteins, and more. Plus, wise words from Calvin Trillin. And your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and concisely connected considerations. So stay right where you are, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than you thinking more deeply about your poopy preferences than ever before. Right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Univest at the Lehigh Valley Public Media Center in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, a really interesting question of the week. What, as opposed to the boring ones I've been doing for 30 years? Anyway, we all know that deer, deer herds in America, especially in some states like Kentucky, are affected by chronic wasting disease, which is caused by an abnormal protein in their brains. Um, can those diseases linger if the poop is composted in a hot compost pile? And is there any danger to humans or even other deer? We will explore this in depth since I put 60 hours of research into it when we get to the question of the week. In the meantime, give us a call. 888-492-9444, 888-492-9444. Janet, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Well, thank you. Well, thank you, Janet. How you doing? Oh, very well. And It's uh, beautiful, beautiful here in uh, Williamsburg. The tulips are in bloom. Oh, very good, very good. I've got, I've got their greenery up, but I'm still in the phase of daffodils as we tape this show. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, yeah. so you're in Williamsburg. What can we do you for? I have been trying to grow hardy kiwis, and I've got the Isai self-fertile ones. And this is going into the third year, and it is a tale of woe and intrigue. Mm-hmm. So the first year, first year I had um, three small plants that I ordered from a small internet uh, independent grower, and they arrived a month earlier than he said they would, and the trellis wasn't finished yet. So I tried to keep them happy, which was difficult. Finished the trellis, planted them, and, you know, they tried, but then uh, leaves turned black and they died. So it was early enough that I replanted with three plants from a big, reputable seed company, 
and they were bigger, nicer plants, and they grew for a while. Mm -hmm. And then the leaves turned black and died. And one, I think, made it just barely. So year two, tried planting three bargain ones from the local tractor supply, and they all looked good for a while and did better than the fancy brand names. And then the leaves turned black, and two of them died. So I still had two puny little ones left from the previous years. And, of course, they were both in the same spot. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they did not really do well. None of them have ever gotten more than a foot high. Okay. And so far this year, nothing seems to be coming up. So <laughs> Maybe that's better. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What? Oh, but I got such a great trellis built. <laughs> okay. Well, that's good. There's lots of things you can grow on a trellis, you know. Great for hanging laundry. Uh, no, scarlet runner beans, where you are. Nah. Why? Uh, the tubular flowers. Kiwis. The deal is. The deal is kiwis. Kiwis are the huh? deal here. Okay. Yeah. I want to grow those suckers so bad. Okay. Now, uh, what are they growing out of? I presume they're planted directly in the soil. Is there any mulch on top of the soil? Um, well, our native soil is absolutely miserable. Okay. So I... Um, dug out a hole about the size of a 18-gallon tub, you know, those big plastic beer coolers? Okay. You use them to ice a beer keg. Okay. And um, so I dug the holes that deep, and I filled them with pretty much what you would put in a raised bed garden, about a third compost and a third peat and a third perlite. And uh, um, you're not liking that. Well, a peat is uh, highly acidic. Um, yeah. I don't grow kiwis myself, but did you do any research to see if they want an acidic or an alkaline soil or a neutral soil? There's just not a heck of a lot of info on them out there. They... Uh, appear to be new enough that there isn't a big trail of info no, on the no, internet. No, no, that's, that's not true. When I was the editor of Organic Gardening oh. back in the 90s, we were running articles mm -hmm. on, on hardy kiwis. So it's out there. You just want to get to a reputable source and um, mm -hmm. look for soil preference. Uh, but it's possible okay. the soil is too acid um mm -hmm. to keep them healthy and that would okay. that would be something that you could rectify by adding agricultural lime or ashes mm -hmm. from a hardwood stove so i think that's in for me i'm sorry i don't have it off the top of my head um there's only so much can fit in there these days and but, <laughs> but you'll find i mean even if you go to Google, what kind of soil do hardy kiwis like? You'll get it right away. Well, I've, yeah, I've been on Google looking for, I guess mainly what I've been searching for is why do the leaves turn black? Oh, yeah, no, and, no, no, no. You, you, and people you wanna... will say, too much water, not enough water. No, 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 no. First of all, you don't listen to people on the Internet. 
<laughs> you could go well, to. I sort I sort through zillions of them and you know take an average. No, no, no. Um, mm-hmm. it, the, there ought to be a driver's license for posting um, advice <laughs> about gardening on the internet. Although it keeps me in business. Uh, do you feed There's, these? That's good. Do you feed these plants at all? Uh, nothing but compost and compost tea. Okay, good. Uh, where does your compost come from? Uh, from the huge, giant bunt cake in my backyard. <laughs> okay, what? You know, about eight what? feet diameter. And no, 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 it's okay. What raw ingredients went into your compost? Threaded leaves and coffee grounds. Perfect. Um, but coffee grounds, uh, well, coffee grounds are acidic, but once the leaves compost down, the resulting compost tends to be neutral. Um, and they're getting mm-hmm. they're getting full sun. They're not crowded. Yeah, yeah. They've oh. got their own little space in the world. I am going to suggest you go to Google um, – and just type in, do hardy kiwis like acidic soil? And you'll get the answer mm-hmm. right away. If that is mm-hmm. the issue, especially if they say they tend to like a more alkaline soil, um, then mm-hmm. clean up everything. Get rid of all the plant debris. Make sure that floor is clean. Uh, get some new plants. But before you do that, amend the soil with agricultural lime or ashes from a hardwood stove. I think I think that's Milky it. Joke. Yeah. What you described okay. is more more of a potting soil than a planting soil. Okay? Well the blueberries like it and that's acid. Oh so. <laughs> yeah, no. Ding ding ding. I win again. Yeah, too acid. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Now you know. Well All right. Okay. Thank you so much. Neoz, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks for having me, Mike. Well, thank you for being had, sir. How you doing? Doing great. And you? I'm just ducky. Thanks for asking. Um, and uh, where are you? I live in Bear, Delaware. Bear, Delaware? That's like Yes, sir. That's like named after the animal. It's not a nudist camp or anything like that. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. What can we do you for? So, Mike, I, about five years ago, I planted uh, plum, pear, and apple trees in my backyard. Right. And I've got good fruit from my pear and apple trees, but I've not eaten a single plum. Yeah. Every spring, I get hundreds and hundreds of uh, flowers on my plum trees, and then I get pea-sized plums that, for some reason, fall off before reaching maturity. So I wanted to call in and see if you can give me some ideas on what to do about my plum trees. Well, the mystery here is uh, that the other trees are doing well. So we can assume there's nothing wrong with your soil. Um, You're not over fertilizing. Are these trees mulched with anything? Yep. I'm just my I just do a regular mulch every year. I top it off and I did it this week. Uh, and I do not use any fertilizer. All I do is just water them, um, plentiful water, and that's all the care I give the fruit tree. Okay, so what kind of mulch? 
Um, I just got it at these you know home improvement stores. Um, red red mulch, Scotts red mulch. Oh, oh, that's nasty. Um, so uh, the only way to use this kind of mulch safely is to leave bare a. Oh, I just made a pun because you're in bare. Um, leave the soil bare for six <laughs> inches uh, around the trunk and then rake the mulch out okay. so it's between one and two inches, but as far out as the furthest branches go uh, because there's no roots mm -hmm. that are working directly beneath the trunk. The roots are all kind of filtering out into the landscape. And if you want to conserve moisture and keep down mm -hmm. weeds, that's the way to do it. Don't pile the mulch up against the trunk, um, but do take it out as far as you're willing to. It also looks great. You got it? Excellent. Thanks a lot, Mike. My pleasure. You watch out for those bears now. Yeah, we'll do. Thank you very much. My pleasure. You take care. Bye-bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and inform all of you that our special audio-only segment in the news is coming up. This time out, we present a somewhat ancient essay from the brilliant mind of Calvin Trillin about the beneficial effects of Louisiana hot sauce. That's coming up soon on You Bet Your Garden. From the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, the question of the week is very complex. You'll have to bring out your blue books, kids, and take notes. Um, we're going to discuss chronic wasting disease in deer whether that deer gives out infected poop and is that poop, which would otherwise be wonderful for your compost pile, safe to use. Very interesting this week, and you won't want to miss it, and you won't. Just stay tuned. Wilson, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Well, thank you, Wilson. How you doing? I'm doing really well. I got to say, Mike, I've been listening to your program for about 10 years, and this is honestly, this is a dream come true. <laughs> oh, to be on the air with me. Yeah, no, honestly, every Sunday morning while I'm drinking my coffee. I, and honestly, this is how I got into gardening, too. Excellent. So thank you for everything that you've done for me, and thanks for taking my call. Um, thank you, and thank you for making it. Um, I, I, I have to say that I get love-bombed a lot. And I never I get over it. It never gets old. <laughs> I'm needy. Keep telling me how much you love me in the show. All right. Well, yeah. All right. What can we do? Oh, where are you, man? I'm in Lockhaven, Lockhaven, Pennsylvania. And you've already said PSU, Penn State Radio. 
Yep, that's my station. Been listening to that since I was probably 15, maybe more than that. And uh, so that's coming up 17 years now. It's going to be 33 this year. And um, I I love it. No, I, I'm really excited. Excited they, to be on. They were one of the first stations to pick us up. And we get a multitude of calls and emails from the area. So oh, we, yeah. And, I mean, they do a great job, too. It's the diversity of programming and the news. It's it's What more can you ask for, you know? You remind me now, years ago, that I actually visited Penn State, did my show <laughs> live from there. and I, You know, I remember that. I was going to go, and I didn't have a chance to. I'm going to take my grandmother. Yeah, and we also did... Um, an interview with a woman who does your interview shows huh. the night before. So, yeah. And I had a great time. Stayed at the Penn Stater, the whole nine yards. Oh, yeah. All right. So what can we do for Wilson near State College? So, yep. So what I'm I'm actually looking at my garden right now. I, I bought my first house last year. And when I bought the house, I one of the things I wanted to do was um, – build myself a, a vegetable garden and sort of understand the production of food uh, locally. Now, the first year, it was a little bit wild, um, <laughs> just sticking plants in the ground and seeing what happens. But I'm looking now, and I am I have some neighbors. I'm, I'm right in the center of Lock Haven, so I'm, I don't have a ton of yard. Mm-hmm. I would say my two garden beds currently are probably six by 12. Okay. And I have two of those on the side, each side of the yard. So I'm looking at building a third bed this year to sort of spread things out. It got crowded last year. And I always hear you talking about raised beds. And I am not really sure what what to do about that. I mean, currently I live in what was the flood range of the Susquehanna River. The Sus- 72 flood was a big, big one. Everybody knows about that. Right. But, you know, it's flooded. And so there's good from what I understand, good flood mud. Now, um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, uh, last year I had cherry tomatoes that grew to be about 10 feet tall. Okay. Um, no one Which can, was incredible. No one can brag about cherry tomatoes, okay? No. They grow. Well, hey, first year, you know. <laughs> they grow like wild, even if you didn't plant them. Okay, so yeah. you want to know why you should grow in raised beds. That's correct. Because, I, I mean, can, last year, like I said, I just stuck it right in the ground, and it was fine. Don't get me wrong. It was it was okay. It but could have I, been a lot better if you hadn't <laughs> been walking on the soil that your plants mm-hmm. are growing in. You've said the beds are six feet wide. That's two feet too many because you okay. have to step into the bed to do things. Mm-hmm. One of the supreme advantages of raised beds is they can be four foot wide, but they can be as long as you want. They can be like a railroad sure. car. The second big, what are you doing? Di- getting a diving bell? Oh, no, sorry. I, I was, um, I walked past my dryer. <laughs> Stay put. You said this was sorry. important to you. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Um, by making the beds four feet wide, you never have to step into them. You can reach mm-hmm. the center from both sides. The second biggest human cause of plant death is compressed soil. 
is you constantly walking on the soil your plants are trying to grow in and they can't get enough air and water at their roots. You maintain a nice, light, loose soil when you put together a raised bed and you never step in it. You never dig in it. Uh, that is to move the soil around. All you sure. do is add an inch or two of fresh compost every year. So that is the number one advantage. Soil compaction, you will never get the maximum out of your plants. And you may think when you reframe the old beds, are they framed or are they just like laying there? Well, they're just laying there. I mean, okay. I took a shovel last year and turned over, what, I don't know, 100 square feet of dirt. It was a lot of work. Yeah, it was. And you won't ever have to do that again. So what well, I want you to do, whether this year or over the years, is frame those raised beds so that they're only four feet wide. Now, you may mm -hmm. think you're losing space. You are going to grow twice as much inside that space because it's dedicated. It's framed sure. off. It is much easier to see how to space the plants. And because you have these structures, you'll be able to take better notes on what's growing in each one so you can rotate your tomatoes and stuff. Second, because you're so not... Then, I'm sorry? Oh, go ahead. I, I had a, another question, but I'll ask it at the end. Is it about raised beds? Yes. Ask it now. Uh, what material should I use to build the beds? Just any kind of wood? I remember you had said absolutely do not use railroad ties because of the treated lumber. Okay. All of that information is on our archives at Gardens Alive. Mm -hmm. Just click the link on our website that says 600,000 answers to your garden questions, and you'll probably get a dozen articles on raised beds that will talk about the materials and what to fill them with. This is why you should do this, young man. Um, it, you will wind up with a very attractive-looking garden. And by the way, make sure the walking lanes in between the beds are two feet wide. You're going to use that okay. to push wheelbarrows through. Um, you can mulch the lanes. You can weed whack mm -hmm. the, the lanes. But once you get a raised bed set up, you're not going to do any more hard work in and again. And weed control will be a breeze because you have this barrier. One of the biggest problems gardeners have is grassy weeds. Well, when they get to the side of the raised bed and get to the framing, they can't climb up it with little siege towers. They're stopped. And if you don't dig up the soil over and over again, weed seeds will not come to the surface. It's much more manageable in every way. You mulch them with shredded leaves in the spring. You add some compost before you do that. And you are set to go. You won't believe the difference. If you just want to do that one first, go right ahead. Uh, but it will convince you to frame the others, okay? Yeah, no, that sounds great. And even now, like I said, I'm standing on my back porch looking out at the garden beds, and I've 
starting to see how I can do it. So I, honestly, you're giving me a lot to think about. I'm going to do some research this afternoon when I get back to work. Excellent. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you very much for your time and uh, taking my call. My and everything pleasure. that you do about, you know, the gardening and everything, it's wonderful. Good luck to you, sir. Bye-bye. Thanks, Mike. Have a good one. Little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. As promised, a special event. That's not an event. Well, a special feature. That's what it is. For all you listeners to our podcast and our terrestrial radio uh, broadcasts. In the news. Now, so far, all the news stories I've been reading you have been from, you know, a, a couple of weeks at best uh, previous to the reading. This one is an oldie but a goodie. I don't know how many of you know the name Calvin Trillin, um, but he is an American writer, essayist. Um, he's written many books. He's a funny guy. And uh, I always remember, he was on Prairie Home Companion frequently, and one time he was discussing chiggers, those annoying little mites um, that get literally under your skin. Um, and they don't feed or anything like that. They just itch like the dickens. Everyone who's ever experienced them, uh, and they are very common in the Midwest where Calvin grew up, um, describes it as the most unpleasant feeling ever. And one time on Prairie Home Companion, he was recounting a trip he took to Paris, his first trip to Paris. And he took the tour up to the very top of the Eiffel Tower. And he said to show what an influence these little buggers had had on his life as he's looking out on the streets of Paris, and you can see forever from the top of the Eiffel Tower. All he could think of was, I'll bet there's no chiggers up here. So this is not about chiggers. This is about Louisiana hot sauce. Uh, it was published in the Philadelphia Inquirer, and um, I have no idea when. Looking at the typeface and the layout and what I was doing at the time, um, I'm thinking it was around 1989-1990. But I quote, I wasn't surprised to hear that the hot sauce that people in Louisiana eat on raw oysters is effective in killing the wicked bacterium Vibrio volanifis, something like that. Anyway, it's a bad thing. Um, because... This doesn't surprise him, he says, because when you eat hot sauce, you know something is going on. You can feel Louisiana hot sauce begin its work. You're aware that a process is taking place. 
Just what, of course, was a mystery until a team from Louisiana State University Medical Center in New Orleans announced the result of new research showing that Louisiana hot sauce kills this virus. And he wasn't surprised. He writes, there's a certain cauterizing effect about the hot sauce when it's prepared just right. And now that I think of it, the people I'm accustomed to eating oysters with in New Orleans, all of whom use plenty of hot sauce, seem pretty much free of bugs of any kind. He goes on, I would love to read you more of this, um, but I'm going to go straight to the end. Um, He was glad finally to see this research, he wonders what else can it cure or prevent? Cholera? The dropsy? Housemaid's knee? I would welcome, he writes, one of those large studies done in a population of eaters that is easy to calibrate. I was going to suggest studying the health of customers who patronize a restaurant in our neighborhood where you can order a dish on a scale of hotness from 1 to 10. 10 being the hottest. It occurs to me, however, that the statistics would be skewered by the fact that one waitress refuses to take an order higher than six on humanitarian grounds. So you heard it here first. Uh, You heard it here. Folks, 30 years ago, we knew that if you want to eat raw oysters, you can protect yourself with Louisiana hot sauce. And anything over six is on you. Every time I hold her, man, I start to smolder. 
Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody out there who is anxious to get their plants of summer in the ground that you should never be lured by warm, sunny days because those warm, sunny days can quickly turn into dark, frigid nights. Tropical plants like peppers and tomatoes should not be planted outdoors until nights are reliably in the 50s. I'm way past my 50s, Mike McGrath. And you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. This is 91.3 FM, WLVR Bethlehem, WLVR.org. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we are in the stretch now, cats and kittens, in just a few short minutes, as opposed to those agonizingly long minutes, we will get to the question of the week, which involves deer, deer poop, prions, and chronic wasting disease. In other words, can you compost deer poop in your pile and get even with them for eating your hostas? We'll try and answer that question coming up soon. 888-492-9444. Ashley, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being had, Ashley. How you doing? Uh, doing pretty good. Stressed and blessed. It's a, it's a sunny day. Can't uh, complain. Oh, where is it a sunny day? Right here in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Okay, very good. Just uh, over the county line from where we are broadcasting. All right, what can we do you for, Ash? Well, so I compost not necessarily to garden, but I compost to keep the waste out of my house so that I don't have to take the, the garbage out as often. And every once in a while, you know, like I can, uh, I can kind of show that I've created some dirt. Uh, I've actually done something. Um, but uh, I get uh, a bag of worms from Uncle Jim's worm farm. And uh, when, I, when I get that uh, bag of worms, I put it in in the spring. And then over the winter, uh, they kind of stop eating. Uh, and I don't know if they hibernate or if they die. Um, but my question was, do I need to keep buying worms in order to keep vermicomposting? Um, or uh, do I just wait for them to kind of wriggle back up to the surface? Well, I mean, you got to keep Uncle Jim in business. Um, <laughs> geez. Um, Uncle Jim's worm farm. I see a guy standing there with a pitchfork, but you can't see his shoes. Um, now, uh, uh, what kind of composting are we doing? Tell me where your kitchen waste is going. Uh, so it's, it's kind of a, a two pronged thing. So, uh, this, this may, uh, make some of your, uh, 
uh, more seasoned composters bulk, but I put just about everything into that compost. Um, I put uh, uh, any any food waste um, that comes from the kitchen goes into a goes into a uh, 55 gallon drum, and I've dug a hole in the backyard, put holes in the drum and then put the drum into the ground. And so uh, that's, that is what uh, I'm putting all of the, the stuff in. So this is an outdoor worm bin, for lack of another word. You're not putting in uh, shredded brown material? Correct. Yeah, uh, and I'm presuming these are red wigglers, the bait worm? That's what they are, yep. Okay. Yeah, uh, you're going to keep Uncle Jim in business because they are not meant to be used outdoors um, when sold for vermicomposting, which is such a stupid word, vermicomposting. It it sounds like you're taking rats out to dinner or something. I just, you know, I don't don't get the verma. But, uh, (laughs) yeah, they can't survive wintertime temperatures in this part of the country. Um, They're actually, yeah, but if you didn't wish to send Uncle Jim's kids to college anymore. Um, All you'd have to do is set up a worm bin inside. And then you wouldn't have to be going out in the snow or the rain or anything like that. And all you would do is, uh, you know, put your garbage into the indoor bin and then cover it with shredded newspaper. And you'd get a much higher quality uh, compost than you're getting now. You'd be getting real worm castings, which are the bee's knees when it comes to feeding plants. And it's a very gentle uh, nutrient. So you can use it on house plants indoors, um, let it dry out, put it in little gift boxes, give it to your friends over the holidays, you know, who would I mean, a hundred percent. That's what I plan to do. But if, if, uh, so what I, I don't, uh, turn the compost because it's, it's in the ground. And so and when, when there are worms, yeah, well, that's true too. Uh, when there are worms and I'm not, uh, kind of doing their job, um, I, I want to keep that pretty, uh, still because, you know, they, they are going to be doing all the work, right? Right. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. A, a a worm bin indoors. Uh, there's there's no turning. I mean, you feed the worms, you throw some shredded newspaper on top, and um, they take care of the rest. We just um, getting ready for the new season. My intern and I just harvested a whole bunch of worm castings uh, from my indoor worm bin. And, boy, we mix it in with the potting soil, and that stuff is just great. But, yeah, if you're going to keep it outside, um, you could try surrounding the above-ground part with hay bales all the way to the top to try and insulate it. Uh, Elliot Coleman did something like that uh, back in the 90s. Um, But... You know, in reality, you're probably best with fresh worms or uh, do a bin indoors. All right. Looks like either way, I'm going to have to make some changes. (laughs) Change is good, unless it's in your pocket. Okay. All right, Ash. 
Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you again for being had. You take care now. Bye-bye. As promised, it is time for the question of the week, which we are calling of poop, prions, and pesky parasites. Kate in Montgomery County, PA, writes, I've loved your show for years. Yeah, 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 sure, that's what all the girls say. In a recent episode, you mentioned composting deer poop. I'm deeply worried about this, as my understanding is that the poop can pass along chronic wasting disease by healthy deer eating the feces of infected deer as they graze. Chronic wasting disease is pervasive in our deer herds, which are overpopulated and thus at great risk of contracting rampant diseases of this kind. A year ago, a hunter decided to set up a post in my father's backyard without asking permission. The hunter spread feed to attract deer, and the area was soon an inch deep in deer pellets. I finally persuaded the hunter to move on, but the feed and pellets remained. I have been leery of foraging that area ever since. But I'm even more concerned about the idea of using compost and included deer feces. My understanding is that there are no reported cases of humans getting chronic wasting disease, but researchers are still worried that it could eventually happen. Anyway, I'd really love to hear more information from you on this. Well, so would a lot of people, Kate, as many elements of this infection are still poorly understood. As the Centers for Disease Control explains, chronic wasting disease is one of several, quote, transmissible, spongiform, encephalophyses, I think, TSEs, a family of rare progressive neurodegenerative disorders that affect both humans and animals. Although I want to be quick to point out here that human TSEs are not chronic wasting disease, and there is no evidence that animal to human transmission has ever occurred, even to hunters who eat lots of potentially infected deer meat. The most prevalent human TSE is Crutchfeld-Jacob disease, CJD, a rapidly progressive, invariably fatal neurodegenerative disorder that affects approximately one person in a million worldwide. Back to the CDC. The causative agents of TSEs are believed to be prions, the term prions refers to pathogenic agents that induce abnormal folding of specific cellular proteins found most abundantly in the brain. The functions of these prion proteins are still not completely understood. So in a nutshell, chronic wasting disease is caused by an abnormal protein found in the brain of deer and related species like elk. Although transmission from deer or elk to humans has never been observed, hunters are cautioned not to handle obviously wasted deer 
and not to eat the brains. That last part seems eminently doable. I have personally, in the past, included deer, quote, pellets, although they look more like marbles, in my compost piles. I rationalized that I was getting even with those relentless appetites on legs. After all, those marbles were once my hostas. But after reading way too much research on this topic over the past week, I will probably stop this practice out of an abundance of caution. I suspect that these marbles might be made safe if I were to integrate them in my hottest compost pile and keep it hot, really, really hot. But, you know, there's plenty of other poop to be had out there, so I will leave those sleeping marbles where they lay. Oh, and remember, kids, always wear gloves and wash them well after handling any kind of poop. One final comment as we proceed to a similar question slash comment slash what some guy wrote to us. Outside of disease concerns, poop from herbivores with hooves and not soft paws is the safest manure to include in your pile. Do not ever include manure slash feces of carnivores and omnivores like dogs and cats. There be parasites aplenty in there. Okay? Now we move on to John a former rabbit rancher who lives near Cincinnati, who writes, I just heard you warn against using soft-pawed herbivore manure in your compost. And I mostly agree, with the exception of rabbit manure. As far as parasites are concerned, the rabbits I'm thinking of are either farm-raised or household pets and are usually kept out of contact with actual soil. With some simple engineering, you can collect and use these black pellets of manure in the garden without aging them, and they make my veggies grow great. I bring this up because there are many folks that might have gotten confused by your statement and now be afraid to use rabbit manure. If I'm wrong, I'm willing to learn why, as I'd rather not harm myself or anybody who eats my veggies. Hopefully, I don't sound too crazy. Well, you are way low on the crazy scale, John, of which first place will always be held by Murdoch of the original A-team. To quote B.A. Baracus, a.k.a. Mr. T, I pity that fool. Anyway, rabbits that are not allowed to roam in the garden, calling Mr. McGregor, should not have the opportunity to come into contact with parasites despite their soft paws. And yes, rabbit pellets make a great natural fertilizer, as does sheep poop. Doubly so because sheep are vegetarians and they got them parasite defensive hooves. Same goes for goats. And let us not neglect gerbils, whose poop is also perfect for your pile wood shavings included, or the famous bagged fertilizer, quote, cricket crap. Crickets are raised in huge numbers to feed humans and reptiles, and their abundant waste product makes a fine fertilizer. 
Well, that sure was some hopefully helpful information about your potential poopy preferences now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Live website. To read it over at your leisure or your leisure, just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org, at least when it's working. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to poach my poop if I don't get out of this studio. Can I say that? We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 888-492-9444 or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore. At YBYG at WLVT.org, please include your location. I know you won't. You're mean to me. I take it personally. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show available for viewing on PBS 39, PBS Passport, and our website. It is also an hour-long public radio show and podcast, and all of this stuff is produced and delivered to you weekly from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. Shouldn't that be P-R-E? Oh, well. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when lightning struck the projection booth while the amazing Colossal Man and Attack of the 50-Foot Woman were accidentally being shown simultaneously at the Lincoln Drive-In on a hot and steamy midsummer's night. Ken Queter is our musical director. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our sound engineer and set decorator is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work and all the cool pictures you have sent in at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Teresa Radke is our peerless princess of profound production. Our audio editor is the always lovely Jonas Bowen. Judicious Jake Boyer does the video. Our directorial director of direction is the harassed and harried Javier Diaz. Also starring Jacob Morris, Zach the Tack as himself, and our beloved band of card sharks, roustabouts, and fortune tellers. Our CEO is Tim Fallon. I'm your host and executive producer, Mike McGrath, and I'll be pricking out my tomato plants because I planted too many seeds in each container, just like last year and the year before that. Uh, I'll be doing that until I can see you again next week and the year before that and the year before that and the year before that and...